All right, so this morning, since we have kind of a smaller crowd, we're going to do something in, a little more interesting this morning. Throughout my lesson, when I get to the scriptures, I would like to call on some people, if you are comfortable, I'd like to call on some people to read scripture. Because it shouldn't just be the preacher that sits up here and reads scripture. I want you to see it for yourselves, read it, and I would love if we could do that today. I think it makes it a more personal experience sometimes if we just read together what the Word of God teaches. But uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about Christmas. To me, Christmas is probably the most peculiar time of year, um, at least to me. It, there's there's so much joy, but we also see an increase in depression and suicide. We see an increase in so many horrible things. And just as we were talking about in our prayer request, the people that have been dying you know, on the streets like that, that's a horrible thing. And we just see as, as much as there is so much cheer and giving, there's also a lot of heartache. And not to mention the financial side of things. So many people, they go bankrupt over this time of year and it's unnecessary, but they feel pressured into it. And perhaps, you know, there's a larger discussion there to be had, but, you know, don't get me wrong. This is my favorite time of year. I love the, this, the feeling of, I love the, I love being able to walk into my place of work and see Christmas lights. I love being able to see a child get happy when you give them a gift. Like those are things that bring joy. But there's also so much heartache. And I just want us to, to remember today those that are dealing with that. And if it's you, just know that you're you're kept in mind and God is still with you. He still loves you. Um, and, you know, I want to remind you also, it is a blessing to give. It is a blessing to give, even if it's something small. And and one thing I think about my wife, she she likes to paint paintings and uh, beautiful paintings. Now, obviously, I don't have that skill, but it's something that comes from the heart, and she doesn't spend money on it, you know. And that, to me, that I've always enjoyed her paintings whenever I get them as a gift. It's like this men, these mean so much more to me than like a pack of Reese's. You know what I mean? Now, a pack of Reese's means a lot to me. All right. So, but in giving, we are blessed. Um, but I think it is the most thrilling part of the year, especially for our kids. But people are in need of hope. They really are. Um, many of us, we, we struggle with crisis in our lives. Um, for many, we are stressed and, and scared of the world that is around us. And we see all this calamity and, and crookedness in the world. And it just never seems to come to an end. In fact, it seems to increase every year or every month or every week or every day but please be reminded today that our hope is in christ jesus um if i could could i get someone it's a very famous verse but could i get someone to read john sixteen thirty three out loud thank you buddy yes sir john sixteen thirty three. Right. So this is the words of our Lord. He's not telling us that everything's going to be easy and peachy all the time. He's flat out telling us there's going to be tribulation, but to take heart, be of good cheer for what? He's already overcome it. He's already overcome it. And he's faced, we'll get into this more, he's faced the struggles that we face because he took on flesh. 
For many, there is crisis in our own homes, in our families, in our relationships. Maybe it's in your health, maybe it's at your work, but the pressures of life itself, they, they seem to just weigh us down all the time. We look at the world and we see just so much evil taking place. We hear about you know wars, rumors of wars, we hear about killings, we hear about adultery, we hear about things like this and so much more going on. The murders that we heard about in Canton a few weeks ago, these things, it, it, it just it's a little too close to home. But it's always close to home for someone else too. And that's something I think that is forgotten about. But in the midst of all these problems, all this calamity, all this heartache, there comes the message of Christmas with all of its hope, its goodwill, and its cheer. I think the message of Christmas has generally been misunderstood and misapplied. Some think of only business profits. Some think of only shopping and gifts. Some think of only tinsels and toys and celebrations. Others think only of Bethlehem and the star in the sky, shepherds in the field and angels singing, and still others cynically ask, where is the Prince of Peace? But the real Christmas message, in my opinion, goes much deeper. It answers all the great questions that plague the human race at this or any other hour. And forgive all the gunshots you'll hear today. There's two classes going on. Um, but the Christmas story, to me, it answers all the great questions that plague the human race at this or any other hour. The Christmas message is relevant, it's revolutionary, and it's reassuring in a world of confusion and crisis and heartache. It can be summed up in three tremendous events. One, a birth. Two, a death. And three, the climax of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, the birth. All right? So I'm going to actually read this one. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> Luke 2, 10. Should be very familiar to you. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David's Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the birth. This is where we have that first uh, real sign of good tidings and good joy. You know, something interesting and... and uh, I heard this story from Billy Graham in one of his messages. He said, uh, during wartime, many mothers, this is during World War II, many mothers would try and uh, help their sons and daughters remember their father who would be out fighting, and they would have a painting or a portrait or a picture in the house of the father. And there were stories of many women, many mothers, taking their children, and they would look at the picture and study it for hours on end just to resemble, help them remember the face of their dad, not let it become a fading memory while they were out at war. So one thing Billy Graham said is during World War II, there was a young mother who took her son to the living room where there was this portrait of the boy's father. And they would gaze at it thinking of the dad who was away at war. Well, one day 
The boy, after looking at the portrait a long while, said to his mom, Mom, wouldn't it be great if Dad would just step down from the frame? For thousands of years, men have looked up into heaven and asked the same question. Wouldn't it be great if God just stepped down from the frame? And that night at Bethlehem, he did. And that's what we're going to start with today. 2,000 years ago, God did exactly that. He stepped down from the frame. I hear men oftentimes, they say, you know, I wish God would just come down and reveal himself to me and reveal himself to us. It would answer all my questions. I wouldn't have any doubt. I wouldn't have any struggles the rest of my life. Number one, that's not true. Number two, he already did. He came down 2,000 years ago, revealed himself to all mankind through many witnesses and many accounts. We have more proof that Jesus walked the earth than we do Alexander the Great. We have more quotations and manuscripts that point to the quotes of Jesus Christ than we do Julius Caesar. But only one of those three people I just mentioned are actually taught as being real. This virgin child was God in human form. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He was in your likeness and my likeness. He identified himself with our problems and the problems of the whole human race. Be comforted knowing that your very God knows what it means to struggle. He never sinned, not even once. Why do you think the Apostle John uh, wrote in uh, John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? The Word being God. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We look at history through an interesting lens, I think. We get to hear about the exploits of Lewis and Clark, or read about George Washington, Isaac Newton, Tesla, or Napoleon. We see the impact that their lives had on the earth, but at one point they were just babies in need of their mother. We have an interesting perspective on history. We can see it from the beginning to end as far as a person's life. But at some point, all these great men and women of esteem, they were just babies in need of their mother. What a difference that child born in Bethlehem has made. We see the impact that these men had, like Abraham Lincoln, Washington, Tesla, all these people, the impact they had in their short lives. But we look at the person the God-man Jesus Christ who lived 33 years, and look at the impact of his life. This child born in Bethlehem, he didn't rule in palaces or in parliament. He was not particularly handsome, nor did he become a general in his time here on earth. For lack of better terms, this child Jesus became a carpenter and a homeless preacher. But make no mistake, this Jesus is the king of kings, he is the Prince of Peace and Lord of Lords. He is the Commander-in-Chief of all things, even the legions of angels. He, Emmanuel, which of course means God with us, he holds the heavens and the earth in his hands. And all those great names I mentioned a moment ago, he made those people too, just like he made you and I in the womb. There's a big difference between you and I and all these great men and women of esteem. There's no comparison when it comes to Christ. None at all. 
he and his word have inspired men <clears throat> have inspired men's hearts to stand against slavery to bring peace to warring nations and most impressively to me to change people from the inside by his saving grace to me i will never be able to fully comprehend how someone who was one way set in stone can be changed radically from the inside to me that shows greater power than even creating the heavens and the earth to be able to change a man's heart from the inside but that's exactly what our god can do and that's exactly what he does do by his saving grace his word has inspired leaders theologians scientists doctors and explorers to make the world a better place and to seek god through his scriptures Secondly, we talked about firstly, there is a birth. Secondly, there is a death. For Christmas to have any meaning, the birth of our Savior should not be separated from the cross. It just shouldn't be. So often I think our churches do a poor job of they separate the two. Now I get it, they're two separate events, but they are so intermittently intertwined that it's a shame that we don't mention it. Can I get someone to uh, read Matthew 1? 21. Matthew 1, 21. Okay, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, and he will bring, uh, she will bring forth a son shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord is salvation, is the meaning of the name Jesus. I think that's so fascinating. The Lord is salvation. His, his very name is a statement to why he's here, why he even came. The Lord is salvation. Jesus himself said, speaking of his death, to this end was I born. That's in John, I believe it's... Is it 1837? Can I get someone to read 1 Timothy 1.15? Even the Apostle Paul, he spoke something interesting to, Tim, interesting to Timothy. Can I get someone to read 1 Timothy 1.15? 1 Timothy 1.15. Yes, ma'am. They saying it is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Right. This is the reason why he came, to save sinners. What are we? What am I? We're sinners. We're in need of a Savior. And what does his very name mean? The Lord is salvation. To me, the true meaning of Christmas and this entire season is that Christ, by his death and resurrection, can transform both individuals and society. Almost all of us at some time or another senses that we are a failure and we suffer guilt. Almost everything we watch and consume show hate, greed, lust, prejudice, corruption, uh, and it just seems to manifest evil in a thousand new ways every day that we see in the world. Just the very, the very fact just the very fact that we have jails and policemen should show us that something is uniquely wrong with us. That something is, there's a deviation from the norm. Something is not right with human nature in and of itself. Every time you board an airplane, they search your luggage. 
luggage. It's in these things that we are made aware again and again of the disease that plagues human nature, which is sin. It's in all these things. You see, man in and of itself to me is a paradox. On the one hand, there is futility and sin. And on the other hand, he is... <clears throat> and on the other hand, there is gentleness, kindness, tenderness, and love one... <clears throat> and love on one, he is a moral... Oh, excuse me, I'm, I can't read today. And on the other hand, he is a moral, moral failure. But sometimes you see men, they commit such acts of kindness that it would make you think of that it could only come from God himself. That's the weird dichotomy between mankind, isn't it? We can be capable of such great kindness, but also such great atrocity. And that's why I stand by the statement that man in of itself is a paradox. Paul, when speaking of sin, he, he called it the mystery of iniquity. The Bible teaches us that the human race is morally sick. The Bible calls this disease sin. We are sinners, we are sick, and the only cure is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is only one God, make no mistake, and only one. And he is the only one that can free mankind from this sickness, from this plague. When we take communion, the cup represents the blood. The Israelites and ancient Jews looked at blood realizing that a life had been given. It would not be beyond their comprehension. They would recognize that when they had that blood, it, would it was a representative that a life had been given and taken. So when we drink of the cup, we ought to realize that a life has been given for us as well. Christ. Christ became the lamb that was slain. And this was designed from the very foundation of the world. That was the goal. The cross and the resurrection stand as man's only hope in this world of woe and darkness and sin. It was on Good Friday and Easter what God did for man that man could never do. From these two events, God is telling sinful man, lost in their ways, I love you. But he is also telling us that he can forgive us. This is the good news of Christmas. By faith, we must turn to him. <clears throat> and the Bible teaches that if you come to him with a broken and a contrite heart, that God will not despise. If we turn to him with a broken and contrite heart, he will not turn us away. God will not despise. He will not cast you off. If we come to him, he will be there because that's his nature. That's his desire. It's not something that we deserve, but thank God that he is willing to do it. This is what the world needs. Some may just dismiss it as ridiculous, idiotic, and rigid, but it is the opposite. Frankly, it's freedom in its truest sense, its truest form. It's freedom to the captive. It's speech given to the dumb. It's the ability to leap given to the lame. It's sight for the blind, food for the hungry, 
humility for the proud, hope to the hopeless, love to the unloved, and to the dead, it is life. It is life eternal. That is who Jesus is. All this from some child born in Bethlehem. Even Paul teaches that the cross will be nonsense to those in this dying world. We, we sit and we wonder sometimes, you know, you, you, you tell someone about the gospel and they just seem to reject it and reject it and reject it. But to some people it's just, and, and I can come, I can make this statement because I used to be an atheist. For a long time, the cross just didn't make sense to me. It just didn't. It just seemed kind of useless to me when I was an atheist. But now it's the sweetest thing to me. But there's, that's the difference, right? Is to Christians, we look at the cross, we look at the resurrection, we're like, that's my hope. But to so, so many other people in the world, they look at that and they say, I, I just don't get it, I don't understand. But that's the job of the Holy Spirit to convince the hearts of men. And he's very good at his job. And he's changed my mind and my heart. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. We must repent, as should all people. There is more than just the birth and death of Jesus. There is the climax of all of human history. The pinnacle of existence itself, the resurrection, where our hope is sealed into eternity. You know what's interesting? Chiseled onto the side of the United Nations building is a quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. If I could, I'd read it to you now. This is on the side of the United Nations building, which is a building designed to where we broker peace. There's a quote from Isaiah, chapter 2, and I'm not making this up. You can look it up. It's chiseled into the side on, in stone. Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 4. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, obviously, this has not happened yet. But I'm hopeful and I'm thankful that one day it will be a reality. This is something, speaking of the, the future, this is a hopeful thought for the future when our Lord comes again, this is the time when Christ returns as the passage shows us if we read further. We may not be there right now, but one day there will not be any more war. There will not be any more death, sadness, sorrow, disease of any kind. It won't plague us anymore. And while it might plague us right now, we still have a hope. I've heard from uh, different Christians, they, when, when speaking about death, they said something interesting. One of them in particular, he said, you know, people when they die, they don't really just die, they just change locations. And when you start looking at it in that perspective, it tends to change things a little bit. You start to look at it and say, okay, there's something more going on here. Now, don't get me wrong, you die, but there's something else to it you go to one of two places and that's the way that we should look at life i think to be mindful of it
I want to assure you today and remind you that there will be a close to history. The curtains will be drawn on the theater one last time. There will be a great war. But right when it seems as if man is about to destroy himself utterly and completely, that is when God intervenes. At his birth, he was in the stall of an animal. At his death, he wore a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, it is as commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven itself. He will bring permanent peace as the Prince of Peace should. And then I'm reminded of John 16:33, which we wrote, read earlier, which teaches us where Jesus says that in this world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Let me close with, with a message of hope. We celebrate at this time of year our Savior's birth. We Hopefully we're out and we're spreading love and good cheer and we're helping people and doing those things. At least in our minds, it's what we ought to be doing, right? But let me tell you something interesting about the manger that you may know, you may not know. It is taught in many churches. But mangers are essentially their feed troughs. And in ancient Israel, and in some places in the Middle East today, they are still used. They are made of stone. If need arises, they can make a useful bassinet. They can make a very useful bassinet. The priest of Israel would place the lambs that are without blemish in the stone manger, this bassinet, if you will. They would place the lambs that were without blemish in this manger, or for the purpose, a bassinet. And they would wrap them in swaddling clothes as to keep them safe and protect them from blemish so they wouldn't hurt themselves in the manger, squirming around and such. What's interesting is that particularly the lambs that were from Bethlehem were often chosen to be the lamb that was without blemish and spotless and that would be used for the sacrifice. The lambs from Bethlehem. <clears throat> they were often used for the sacrifices. To God to cover sin. When the time came for the priest, they would choose the lambs fit for sacrifice. They had to be spotless and without blemish. They would be wrapped in swaddles and they would place them in the manger. Can I get someone to read Luke chapter 2 verse 12? Luke 2 12. Yes sir. Thank you. This is speaking of Jesus, of course. This small detail might mean so little to us, and it can be so easily skipped over when we tell the Christmas story, but to the shepherds that were told in the night what was happening, they knew what this meant. This meant that the long-awaited Messiah King, that baby that lie in the manger, that is the Messiah, and he has finally come. That baby, being Jesus, in his earthly life, he would never see himself in a palace as the ruler. He would never see himself as a general of an army. But let me tell you something. 
There will come a day where he will establish a kingdom here one day. Well, he will be, he's already the general of the legions of angels, so don't get me wrong there. But he's already, he's, he's already got the plan to come down here, to establish himself here. But this child, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was born to be a sacrifice for sins. This spotless uh, lamb without blemish, just like many of the lambs that have been chosen from Bethlehem, we see that this lamb, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, was chosen for the sacrifice for all sins, for all time. One of my favorite quotes from the song, Hark the, Her the Herald Angel Sings, is this. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. To me, that sums it all up. With Christ, God and sinners are reconciled. So this morning, while the message has been on the shorter side and we may not have the numbers that we did last month, that doesn't bother me. What matters is that we're here and that we're reminded of our King, that we're reminded of how great and awesome and powerful He is, that He is the spotless Lamb of God that was born, that was crucified, and that rose again from the dead. That's who we worship. We don't worship a feeble and weak God. We worship the King of Kings. We worship the very Prince of Peace, the one where these men stand at the United Nations trying to broker peace and find real change, and they can't accomplish it. One day the Prince of Peace will be the one to accomplish what man just can't do. That's who we worship. That's what it's about. That's what the Christmas message is for. It's for the hopeless. It's for the sinners. It's for the ones that haven't been reconciled yet. It's for the ones that are downtrodden and low in spirit. God is a friend of sinners and a friend to those that are low. That's who we worship today. So I encourage you as we go forward, let me check the calendar. I believe it's two weeks from the day. Yeah, it's not far from now. What is it? It's going to be the, is that the 8th? Yes. So January 8th is when we'll be meeting here again. I encourage you, if you would like, invite a friend. We're actually going to be starting a donation box, not to me, not to anything going on here, but to a charity. Um, and every cent, not a single cent, will go to this place or to me. I want to reassure you of that. But it's going to go to a charity. We're thinking the North Georgia Pregnancy Center to help uh, young mothers and babies that are right now having a hard time. All right? That's what we're hoping to do. So next month, I would really encourage you, invite a friend, bring someone January 8th, that's the second Sunday, 10.30 to 11.30, just like we are now. We'll meet again, and we'll actually, if, if you are led to it, we'll have a donation box to give to those that are in need. So with that being said, God bless you. Um, I guess I'll close this out in prayer here. I'm actually, um, could I get Mr. Buddy? Would you mind to close this in prayer, sir? If you don't mind. You can, it's, if you want to, you can come up here. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Matt. I thank you for the encouraging words that he shared with us this morning, Lord. Good reminders of gospel truths, and I pray, God, that we will live in light of those every single day. Be with all of our unspoken burdens as well as the prayer requests that were mentioned earlier. And God, I just pray that you'll bless us as we go out. And this is the Lord's day, so I pray that we will be refreshed in it and remember what we've learned so we can take it throughout the week and be priests and be a light to those around us. And we pray that you'll receive all glory for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.